Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from Blake. Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Tuesday, May 31st, 2016, and tonight's topic is the Undiagnosed Disease Program. This is shocking. This is absolutely shocking. And it's really shocking when you consider that the doctor's diagnosis is actually incorrect pretty close to 80% of the time. So in other words, 80% of people are already wrongly diagnosed. And so now we're going to concern ourselves with those who have not yet been plastered with, statistically speaking, an incorrect label. The lack of accuracy in diagnosis, of course, should come as no shock to anyone when you consider that 50% of everything doctors are taught in medical school is false. Once we understand this, you can see that the diagnosis of any disease takes more than four steps. The probability of the diagnosis being accurate is pretty slender. But would you believe that the United States federal government has a program to diagnose the undiagnosed? So in other words, in the event that their local medical doctor, by the way, that was a derogatory term we used in medical school. We applied it to common doctors in the community who up to snuff to work at a teaching hospital. But anyway, if their doctor of choice failed to affix to them a false diagnosis, which they are, 80% of cases, this is a statistic the medical industrial complex has, then the government has a program that will diagnose the undiagnosed. Now, the success rate of this program is 1.4% of all who apply to this program end up with a diagnosis. 
Now we're going to presume that the diagnosis is accurate. And we're going to presume the diagnosis is not afflicted with the same error rate inherent in using a database that's 50% false. All right. So my question is, what is the intent behind this program? So tonight we're going to talk about the Undiagnosed Disease Program, what it is, what it offers, the bottom line, and how it affects the lives of those who do apply, and what might be the intent behind this program. I mean, this is not some shabby program. I mean, the government's pumping millions of dollars into this program. So let's take a look. Now, as many of you know, I happen to be on the uh, Dr. Mailing list, Medscape, at medscape.com. Any of you who wish can probably join too. Uh, but they, they pump out this information all the time. So it's there for the world to see. So let's take a look at the uh, undiagnosed program. Now, I think a great place to start is the Journal of the American Medical Association. Yes, this is the journal of the American Medical Association, the medical association created for the purpose of organizing and controlling doctors, and actually it's done a pretty darn good uh, job of it. And so, the Undiagnosed Diseases Program, and these doctors, Dr. Gall, G-A-H-L, an appropriate name because he has the gall to question the Undiagnosed Disease Program. And, of course, uh, Dr. Wise, Ph.D., and Dr. Ashley, a bunch of letters, but not an M.D. after the name. So only one doctor could they find with an M.D. after his name that had the courage to question this program. And this is what the doctor says. We question the value of diagnosis and discovery as promoted by the Undiagnosed Disease Program. Not only has the NIH supported this initiative, but the evaluation of desperate patients seeking a diagnosis has been embraced by members of Congress, hundreds of patients, numerous advocacy groups, and the press. Several centers have begun their own undiagnosed diseases programs without federal funding, and there is strong international interest with the establishment of the Undiagnosed Diseases Network International. Demand for the Undiagnosed Diseases Program greatly exceeds capacity, which is why the program was extended nationally to improve patient accessibility. With seven clinical sites across the United States and a streamlined online application process through the Undiagnosed Diseases Gateway. Long wait times and relatively low diagnostic yield are intrinsic elements of the diseases under investigation. Now, when you say low diagnostic yield, you've got to put this in English. That means of all the people who go through the whole process, very few at the end of the day get a diagnosis, which I'm going to refer to as a label. The delays have to do with obtaining records from previous investigations, I will say previous doctors in their tests, 
and the diagnostic output reflects the fact that these exquisitely selected cases have already been evaluated at tertiary medical centers. What's tertiary mean? Literally, tertiary means third level. But as a practical matter, in medicine, it means at teaching hospitals. So the patient has been referred, this is primary care doctor, which is primary, has been referred to a specialist, which is secondary. And the specialist has referred the patient to a teaching hospital, which would be tertiary. And so this person has had at least three levels of evaluation, according to, I dare say, the standard of care. And still, no diagnosis. So, these are their, uh, their numbers. Again, so it's important to look at their numbers and what they say. Okay, so according to the Undiagnosed Disease Program, average application processing time is 8 to 12 weeks. We'll call it three months. Followed by a waiting time of six months. That's three plus six. Now we're into nine months into it. For chart review, since 2008, more than 10,000 applications have been submitted to the Undiagnosed Disease Program. Chart reviews have been performed on 3,000 of these applications and 750 patients have been selected for in-person evaluation. That's only 7.5% of all applicants. During the first two years, diagnoses were established in 39 of the 160 patients accepted. That's 24% into the program. So 75%, 76% still had no diagnosis at the end of the process. Among this group, 25%, in other words, nine, were common conditions. In other words, these are ordinary conditions. The primary, secondary, and tertiary doctor just missed the diagnosis. And these are conditions for which there are ordinary treatments. Based on these data, the undiagnosed diseases program successfully completed a diagnostic component of its mission and only 18.8% of patients who were evaluated and 1.4% of all patients who applied. We are concerned that the authors presented a program funded by the National Institutes of Health without any consideration of cost. In 2009, the plan was budgeted for $1.9 million. So they're spending $2 million a year basically failing to diagnose the undiagnosed. And this is, appears pretty ridiculous until you go to this website. It's called the Undiagnosed Diseases Program Now Accepting New Patients. And they show the picture of a lady who's obviously done her best to put her best foot forward. You know, she's got her hair done and some makeup on. and She's got uh, chipmunk cheeks suggesting she's taking prednisone. May or may not be the case, but that's what it looks like. And this is the crux of the matter. As difficult as it is to have a rare disease, to talking to the patient now, not having a diagnosis is even worse. Hello, wake up. Who cares if you have a rare disease 
There's no diagnosis, but the doctor is able to fix it, right? So what we have here is we're now shifting the focus. Instead of resolving the disease or getting better, we're shifting the focus to labeling it. It's like uh, GMO foods. Let's just label it. Let's label it. And so we now have the shift in the patient's mind. Oh, I don't want to be cured. I don't want to be improved. I just want a label because not having a label is worse than being sick. All right? You got it. And these people, as if they're regular individuals, are saying, we've blogged before about the fascinating work of the Undiagnosed Diseases Program at the National Institutes of Health, whose goal is to provide answers to patients with mysterious conditions that have long eluded diagnosis and to have advanced medical knowledge about rare and common diseases. Again, what are we focusing on? We want patients to have answers, and we want to advance medical knowledge. At no point is providing relief to the patient mentioned as a goal. It's just not even on the radar. I mean, it wasn't even listed like last. It just isn't there. So let's go on. This is a blogger, right? So this guy writes. And I say this guy, but this stuff is not even signed. (laughs) This person's not even signing their work. And so we can deduce this might actually be written by a very good advertising agency. But uh, let's continue. A clinic of last resort, a long-term medical issue that has eluded diagnosis by physicians is considered undiagnosed. And thousands of desperate patients have applied to the undiagnosed diseases program. Of the applicants to the program, only a very small number are invited to proceed. A CBS News piece, Pat CBS on the back, shares the moving stories of four people in the program. The Undiagnosed Disease Program's director, Dr. Gall, notes that he reviews every application and talks about how difficult it is to decide who to accept. Well, back up, relax. Does it matter who you accept when you only assist 18% of those accepted anyway? I mean, why don't we just flip a coin or roll the dice? So the person's probability of getting a label at the end of the day is only 18% once they're accepted. And once they have the label, it's 18%. Only half of those have something that can even be treated. So let's not get caught up in taking this too serious. But Dr. Gall is agonizing over every single chart he reads. Last year, the undiagnosed disease program stopped accepting patient applications in order to catch up with a backlog, but they are now evaluating new cases. I am relieved already. The four-year-old program has seen about 500 patients and succeeded in making a full diagnosis of a genetic disease for about 10%. Get this. Full diagnosis of a genetic disease. Okay. What good is it to have a genetic diagnosis? Because you can't change your genes, right? So 10% are able to get a genetic diagnosis, which is a sorry, can't do anything for you diagnosis. 
and a partial diagnosis for 30%. What is a partial diagnosis? That even sounds insulting. Okay, so let's go. According to the study, the undiagnosed disease program has enabled the discovery of several new diseases and disease mechanisms. All right, so let's get this straight. person shows up. They have mysterious symptoms for years. They've been tested by the primary doctor, the specialist, and the tertiary care teaching hospital, and they don't have a disease label, so no diagnosis. Now, what that means is, of all the diseases described and written about in medical textbooks, this person's symptoms cannot be assigned to any one of those. And so enter the Undiagnosed Disease Project. And so it suggests that they're going to diagnose these diseases. In other words, they're going to take a really, really close look and sort these patients into one of the existing disease categories. But here we find, no, no, they're making up new disease categories. Like, oh, we can't diagnose you. We can't assign to you an existing disease category. So now we're going to invent a new disease label, and we're going to put you in it, and that is how we're going to diagnose you. So in other words, the undiagnosed disease project is still failing to diagnose the disease. They're just making up another category. That would be like a teacher saying to a student, Johnny, what is two plus two? And Johnny says, you know, that's an unknowable thing. I'm going to create a special category, and I'm going to call it 25. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. Create a new category called 25. Now, the teacher would look at Johnny and say, Johnny, you got to do better than that. You can't just make it up. But we're accepting this from so-called scientists. We're saying to them, we're going to pay you $2 million a year to see these folks who don't have a diagnosis and make up new diseases. That way, they're going to be happy. They'll have a label. And, of course, medical industrial complex will be happy because now it has another expensive label that it can assign to people in the future. All right, so just to clarify that so you understand. New funding. So in July, the NIH announced $145 million in new funding over the next several years for the Undiagnosed Disease Program. This money will allow the program to expand to five or six other sites where researchers will learn the Undiagnosed Disease Program's method. So they're going to take these fraudulent and ineffective methods and they're now going to clone them. They want this program to create more sites. And they're going to make sure they take the people from the original site and use it to train other people at other sites. All right. So I want to make sure you're with me here. Where the researchers will learn the proper method. These additional sites will allow more patients to be evaluated. Currently, about 150 patients are seen each year at the NIH in Bethesda, Maryland. We definitely got to get these patients out of Bethesda, Maryland. 
because once they figure out what's going on, they might get really upset and do some damage to the building. So according to the NIH press release, the Undiagnosed Disease Program will test whether this type of cross-disciplinary approach to disease diagnosis is feasible to implement in academic medical centers around the country. That would be teaching hospitals. It will promote the use of genomic data, that means genetic information, in disease diagnosis and will engage basic researchers to identify the underlying mechanisms so that therapies may be rapidly identified. The program will also train clinicians in the use of contemporary genomic approaches so that these methods can be used to fight other diseases. Now, this already smacks of incredible inaccuracy built in to the diagnostic process by using techniques that are profoundly inaccurate. In other words, if you have a person who has a parent with type 2 diabetes, then that person presumably has a 50% chance of having the genes for type 2 diabetes. Let's just say, for the sake of discussion, this person does have whatever the genetic predisposition might be for type 2 diabetes. What are his chances, given he has a gene, of going on to get type 2 diabetes? I'll tell you, it's far less than 100%. So if you use genetics to detect we'll just say, for the sake of discussion, non-genetic diseases, those diseases that are not inevitable as a result of the genetic presence, then you're going to have overdiagnosis and false diagnosis built right in. So we have here now a method, this genetic method, that is inherently inaccurate. And so because of something called epigenetics, that means environment, so a person whose father had type 2 diabetes, let's say my father, for example, had type 2 diabetes, and my grandfather, by the way, so why don't I have type 2 diabetes? Answer, because I did things a little different. I didn't do things the way they did them. I didn't eat what they ate. I don't live the way they live. And so then to diagnose me as diabetic based solely on my possession of these genes is going to be inaccurate. And so this is what we have. We have the undiagnosed disease program engaging in diagnostic technology that is guaranteed to give erroneous results unrelated to the person's condition. All right. Now, physicians and the FDA, okay, in the video below, Dr. Gall, who's got a lot of gall, gives a TED Talk in which he reviews a few patient stories as well as the challenges facing, get this list, pharmaceutical companies, physicians, and the FDA in relation to ultra-rare diseases. At the end of the video, Dr. Gall says, people in the rare disease community want to be protected, but they don't want to be protected to death. Hmm. Okay, so this brings us a little further along understanding the undiagnosed disease program. In other words, it is an effort to genetically categorize and sort people 
starting a course with those who eagerly want a diagnosis, and instead they get a genetic sorting. Now, if we go to the um, University of Alabama at Birmingham School of Medicine, you know they're pretty upfront about this. And let's see what they say. The Undiagnosed Disease Program seeks to meet the needs of patients with severe chronic medical conditions in whom a diagnosis has not been made, despite extensive efforts by the referring physician. So let's put this in English. The Undiagnosed Diseases Program at this university seeks to meet the needs. That means do something and get paid for it with respect to patients with severe chronic medical conditions in whom a diagnosis has not been made. All right. So they're saying, hey, guys, we're trying to profit from this. Achieving an accurate diagnosis can be instrumental in guiding management, treatment, and counseling. Stop right now. Did we say a cure anywhere? Management, treatment, and counseling. No. So in other words, there's, again, no effort, no interest in curing these people. It's forget it. We're not even going to look at that. Our program is powered by UAB Medicine, University of Alabama, Birmingham Medicine. Children of Alabama and Hudson Alpha Institute of Biotechnology. These are all large organizations that need money to run. A collaboration that provides input from a team of expert clinicians and utilizes cutting-edge, here's the word, genetic and genomic technologies in a concentrated effort to uncover a diagnosis and thus determine and recommend effective treatment. Now, there are many causes of diseases. People can have a disease because they've been poisoned, you know, occupational exposure, let's say, uh, environmental exposure, all kinds of ways to get poisoned. People can be poisoned. People uh, can have trauma. You know, a piece of their body maybe got cut off or missing or because of impact was damaged and not properly uh, repaired by the immune system. And so this genetic search literally overlooks, turns a blind eye, to literally about 80% of the cause of all diseases. And again, most people with a genetic predilection to a certain illness never get that illness, whether it's diabetes, whether it's hypertension, whether it's heart disease. And we doctors often take a family history, which amounts to, well, did anyone in your family have this disease? Did your mother pass on some genetic defective material to you? And this really amounts to nothing more than just really talking about the person's mother. But as for therapy, it's of no help at all, none whatever. And so the Undiagnosed Disease Program seeks to funnel everyone into a genetic explanation for their undiagnosed disease and patient population. Remember, this is the teaching hospital writing this. The UDP, Undiagnosed Disease Program, strives to meet the needs of patients of all ages. Why should we limit our profit to adults? 
The program is designed to explore conditions that are amenable to diagnostic evaluation and intervention and is not appropriate for the evaluation of patients with chronic conditions, such as fatigue, weight loss, fibromyalgia, and diffuse pain. The program is designed to explore conditions that are amenable to diagnostic workup and intervention. In other words, conditions that will show abnormal laboratory results. Not appropriate for the evaluation of patients with chronic conditions like fatigue, weight loss, fibromyalgia, diffuse pain. Well, shucks, who else is going to show up? Patients who could benefit from our program include those with rare diseases, those with conditions not previously known to exist. Conditions not previously known to exist, that means they make it up. And those who have an atypical presentation of a common disease or disorder. Despite evaluation by the undiagnosed disease program team, it is possible that a diagnosis will not be made. Possible? There's an 82% chance, of course, because we know. We only make a diagnosis in 18% of cases, and those 18%, only 9% are amenable to therapy. So it's not possible. It's not even probable. It's actually likely. Then we have the team members. We only have one, two, three, four team members, which is uh, interesting. And so they have a medical geneticist and child neurologist. They have a professor in the Department of Genetics and Pediatrics and an internist in the Infectious Disease Specialist Department of Medicine and a medical geneticist pediatrician. So we have three people who are geneticists and one who is in infectious diseases. And so he's, the infectious disease guy, it's not clear why he's there unless they're conceding that maybe some rare parasitic diseases might be afflicting these people. So in order to be evaluated by the team, prospective patients must meet essential criteria, which include, one, referred by a physician. In other words, no self-referrals, no independent thinker, no patient who wants input of any kind. All right. Referred by a physician. So we need a definite mother-may-I type, a submissive person. Gotcha. Next. Patients must have had an extensive evaluation that did not result in a diagnosis. In other words, a thick chart of tests, preferably totaling about $20,000. All right. Next, the condition prompting referral is causing significant impairment to quality of life. All right. Patients must be clinically stable. In other words, not in need of emergency evaluation and care. And the medical condition must have had at least six months duration. And finally, the undiagnosed disease program medical staff must judge that the resources and expertise of the undiagnosed disease program offer opportunities to make a contribution towards a diagnosis beyond what has already been done. Right. And so they warned that only a limited number of patients will be accepted and on and on and on. And so the financial things is we are a clinical program, not a research program. As such, we do not provide free care. Therefore, clinical services associated with the program are billed in the usual way. The total 
addiction, by the way, of the Undiagnosed Diseases Program background by Dr. Dahl, uh, Dr. Gall, who says, we evaluate, 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 and we research and find and discover new diseases. And they're asking people to pay out of pocket for this, essentially. So the staff will work with patients and insurance companies to obtain pre-authorization for any consultations, tests, or procedures done as part of the patient evaluation and will work with patients who do not have health insurance on a case-by-case basis. There's no charge to submit medical records for consideration for evaluation. Okay. So what this means then is they really stratify these patients and, and just make a very uh, arduous series of hoops to jump to. Because after all this, you've got to meet all these criteria. Then you have to click here, submit a referral. And when you click this referral, it goes on and on and on. Uh, you have undiagnosed disease program referral information. They have the criteria, which they repeat for you. They have elements necessary for referral, referring physician information, all referring physician ID, physician summary of present illness forms. Doctors got to write out all those forms. And then online copy of office electronic visit notes, current medications and drugs and allergies, patient contact and insurance information, for pediatric patients, height, weight, head, head circumference, growth, and a bunch of other stuff. And so you get all of this stuff, which, by the way, by medical standards, is pretty uh, minimal information, even though it's pretty annoying. So you can imagine how the patient feels, having gone through all this, having found a doctor to refer them, having gone from website to website to website, making sure they meet all the criteria, and then fill out the forms, and then help their doctor fill out the forms or motivate him to fill out the forms. And then the necessary waiting period of nine months, you've got to wait six months, at least you've got to be sick for six months, 12-month evaluation period, and then another six months after you've been accepted before you're seen. So now we've got 15 months this patient is sick and, of course, waiting for evaluation and diagnosis and hanging on. So what could be going on here? What is really happening? There's a couple things going on. First thing is the person is not being diagnosed. At the end of the day, 1.4% of the people who enter this program will actually have a diagnosis. But the mere existence of the program gives the person hope that they're going to get a label and that the label is going to help them engage in medically therapeutic activity that will relieve their symptoms. This is simply not true. This is not true. As doctors, there's something called empirical treatment. What's that? Empirical means a doctor doesn't bother to make a diagnosis. It's just that he's seen this so many times. He knows a certain intervention works, so he just provides the intervention and skips the whole diagnostic routine. Patients are not aware of this. And so they think a doctor needs a diagnosis in order to treat. That's absolutely not true. And the more I work with people, and the more I see um, 
how people heal. What actually happens is when a person is in what's called an emergency state, I'll give you an example, um, acute cholecystitis with a gallstone stuck in the common bile duct, that's called acute cholecystitis, a surgical emergency. On the other hand, if the person has gallstones in the gallbladder, which is just another stage of the same disease, they're going to have digestive problems. Or if the person doesn't have any stones but just has sluggish and slow bile flow, again, another a precursor to the actual stone, to the actual obstruction, um, they're going to have fatigue and they're going to have digestive issues and they're going to be difficult uh, to heal. But all of these are just a spectrum of the same condition. It's like you have a plant and you say, well, the root, the stem, the flower, the leaf, these are each different plants. Well, it's not true. And so if you have what is the same constellation, then you can intervene. You can intervene in this sluggish bile situation by having the person drink more water, by having them eat more vegetables, by having them take some vitality capsules, clear out their intestine, clear out their gut. So it's not necessary to have a diagnosis before beneficial therapy can be started. And that is if, indeed, beneficial therapy, let's say drugs, from a pharmaceutical company even exist or are available. As you can see, what Dr. Gall said was this is a problem that must be solved by pharmaceutical companies. In other words, they need to develop more drugs, get patents on it, have monopolies, and charge more money. That's, that's the only solution to this. And, of course, doctors have to obediently prescribe these drugs as instructed by the pharmaceutical companies. And, of course, the government has to oversee the whole process. So what's really going on here? is we have what's called the Undiagnosed Disease Project, but it's really the new product development department for, for pharmaceutical companies. It's basically what it is. It's simply a process whereby the government, as it was doing in the 70s, is simply acting as the research and development arm for the drug companies, at the same time doing very important and valuable um, genetic classification and cataloging of U.S. citizens. Now, what does this do for the patient? I mean, the undiagnosed patient. So he's not going to get a diagnosis at all from this program. (laughs) We know that because, well, the program told us so. What it does for the patient is it saps and drains their ambition. There was a time, I guess a long time ago, 20 years ago, it happens nowadays, but not so much, where the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing more that can be done. You have to go home and suffer and die. There was a time when doctors said that, actually quite a bit. And what would happen? The person would go home, and they would say to themselves, oh my God, I guess there's nothing more the doctor can do for me. I better help myself. And then they launch into doing research and um, talking to friends and relatives and finding out if anyone else ever had this and if they ever solved it and, and going to alternative sources and all kinds of stuff. So this undiagnosed disease program takes all of that energy 
and redirects it basically down a black hole and keeps these people in the grip of the medical industrial complex as their time, their energy, and their money is being totally drained from them. And so it's another level of exhaustion, exploitation, and culling or harvesting of individuals. So if after the person's been fully harvested, you know, the insurance has run out, um, they've had all these tests done, this simply gives them another level, another tier, another round of expenditure. And so when we were kids, the grown-ups would talk to us and say things like, don't you have any ambition? And I never quite understood that because the kid was pretty satisfied with most things. And so let's talk about what ambition is. It's always nice when we talk about something to get a definition. So ambition is a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. And so these patients who are entering the Undiagnosed Disease Project have a strong desire to do do or achieve something. Let's just say healing. And it requires determination and hard work. And so the Undiagnosed Disease Program is sapping this determination, sapping this hard work, and directing it towards something that has little or any probability of leading to a release of the person's symptoms. At the same time, preventing this person from directing their determination and hard work in an area where it might pay off. Example, removing themselves from the poisons in their environment that are causing their mysterious undiagnosed disease. Addressing the dietary issues, addressing dehydration, addressing uh, what we like to refer to as stress, every job they hate or a spouse they don't like. So it keeps people stuck in non-productive activity. And it keeps them captive to the system. And it keeps them spinning their wheels, spinning their wheels, basically in a what amounts to um, quicksand. And they just sink deeper and deeper, get weaker and weaker, have fewer and fewer resources, and they become totally exhausted. And so the patient enters this process thinking, hoping they're going to get a diagnosis and that that diagnosis is going to lead to relief. What they actually are entering is the new product development funnel for drug companies and the government's genetic classification system for citizens. And because of this uh, mismatch between the person's desires and what actually goes on, there's a fair amount of frustration here. And so, of course, part of patient selection is selecting a docile individual who's willing to meekly accept the uh, necessarily negative outcome. 
And so this ambition is key. The goal is to sap and drain every drop, every ounce of this person's ambition and to leave them basically helpless and unable to pursue a non-medical industrial complex uh, solution. (laughs) Okay, so... But you don't have to do that. So what would I recommend? So the thing is to stop while you're behind. You're going to stop while you're behind. If you've had $10,000 or more worth of tests and you've not been diagnosed, guess what? No diagnosis coming. And if you've had all these tests done, the question is what's really your goal? Is it to have more tests? Is it to get a label? Is it to get put in a bin in a cubicle? No. The goal would be to get some relief. So you have to step out of this merry-go-round. You have to step out of the endless cycle. And just pretend. Your doctor says, you have been undiagnosed. I'm going to refer you to the undiagnosed disease project or program. When you get that referral, what you should instead hear is there's nothing more we can do for you. Go home and die. And just pretend that that is what you heard. And I can't tell you the people who have heard those words were initially crushed and it actually led to them healing and finding their way to a total resolution and uh, better health. (laughs) So that is what you have to do. You've got to pretend that your doctor has told you, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. In fact, you might want to pretend your doctor said that before you even go to the doctor. And then you wouldn't become one of the 880,000 people every year in the United States who die as a result of their uh, properly prescribed medical therapy. So what I've done is I've developed a program to help people. It's called Help People Become the Healer in Their Home. So people don't have to call 911. They can be 911. This is a program people can learn and experience healing modalities and herbs, learn how to analyze a person's condition, themselves, a family member, a loved one, figure out how I sort things out. And, you know, how to heal from uh, adult issues, what nutrients are essential, which ones are more advanced, how do you add more advanced nutrients, what to do in emergencies, so you can have peace of mind outside the medical industrial complex. So what I'm going to do is here in Panama, I'm going to open up my cupboard of healing spices and explain what each one does. I'm going to share the supplements that I've evaluated, which ones made the grade, which ones didn't, and why. And even show you how to prepare some herbal remedies that I use and keep mixed and on hand, things you can do for your family. And types of enemas to mix, how to and when to use each one. And this is an awesome value. This is something that I know for me, not having to consult a physician or go to the hospital or have a test, 
for the past uh, 21 years has easily saved me over $100,000. I haven't bothered with health insurance, co-pays, deductibles, nothing. Easy beans. And this is information that really is not available anyplace else. Sounds like something that interests you? Shoot Shali an email. Shali at vitalitycapsules.com. So that's Shali, S-H-A-L-E-E, at vitalitycapsules.com. So our next uh, program is going to begin June 17th. People will arrive evening of June 17th. And we'll start June 18th, and it will end on June 24th. And your registration fee includes everything. Supplements, lodging, meals, equipment, which you can take home yourself, personal care products, which I've mixed myself, which are organic and all healthy. So send an email to shally at vitalitycapsules.com. Okay. All right, so we're ready for questions. Boy, the chat room is hopping. So let me see if we can uh, get going on this. Mm. <laughs> All right, question. Dr. Daniel, speaking of diagnosis, what can be done for a 10-week-old breastfed baby that hasn't pooped for six days? Hmm. Mother seems to be drinking plenty of water and making surplus milk. That's nice. The mom has been on blood pressure medication since his birth. Hmm, not good. This kid's getting blood pressure medication. If she's on a calcium channel blocker, that causes severe constipation. Okay, so she's taking prenatal vitamins, which are filled with chemicals and poisons. So she's taking prescription prenatal vitamins, uh, uh, they've been shown in studies to lead to poor outcomes, worse outcomes in terms of baby health and mother health than um, taking prenatal vitamins, say, from the health food store. Okay, regular doctor said things were okay at three days with no poop. Yes. We are taught that um, newborn babies who are breastfed can poop once a week. Okay. Nobody's taking into consideration the blood pressure medication or the supplements. All right. I lost my place. Okay, how can I help them? Concern is mounting. Thank you. Uh, Well, first of all, this baby is taking breast milk from a bottle. That's interesting. So what I would do is cook up some prunes, you know, boil up some prunes. Uh, My favorite is six sticks of cinnamon, a cup of chopped prunes, a quart of water, juice of one lemon, boil it for 30 minutes, put it through a blender, and then I would actually mix it 50-50 with the milk. That is what I would do with a 10-week-old. Of course, this is not medical advice. Use it at your own risk. I accept that. We know liability and all the usual disclaimers. Okay. Dr. Daniels, don't you think it's actually worse to get a label or diagnosis? Couldn't it have damaging and life health-altering effects? Absolutely. 
Once you get a diagnosis, all of a sudden your health insurance skyrockets. Uh, you're not allowed to go certain places. It's, it's, it's like you're totally deprived of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So I think that if you don't have a diagnosis, the best thing is not to get one. Certain tests like the Lyme test and the HIV test are basically random number generators. And the more often you get tested for them, the more likely you are to get a positive result. So I would definitely suggest to anyone that the last thing you want is a diagnosis of any kind. Even if you get a diagnosis of hypertension, you treat it naturally, it goes on to normal, you no longer need drugs, it's still on your record, it still affects um, the prices that you pay for just about anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so this poor baby who is constipated, um, this was going back and forth in the uh, chat room about what should be done or shouldn't be done. I'll say something that my father once said. You cannot protect a child from his parents. Cannot protect a child from his parents. And of course, another saying is God protects, protects children and fools. So this kid might be lucky enough to uh, reach adulthood. So I wouldn't get too uh, bent out of shape about it. You know, recommend some prunes or even have the mother eat prunes. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Daniels, could the infectious disease be on guy or doctor be on the intake team to make sure that people get the right disease in their shot? Um, not clear. Not clear. Usually at that point in the process, the infectious disease person doesn't administer any shots. The um, undiagnosed disease project is very, very, very short on therapy. They make their money uh, testing. <laughs> All right. Okay. It's Dr. Daniels, is the undiagnosed disease program like the future crimes program? Do they arrest you before you commit the crime and treat you before you're ill? No. These people are all ill and they're all complaining of symptoms. So everyone in the undiagnosed disease program actually has symptoms that they are complaining about. So um, this is definitely a situation where they are offering diagnosis to people who are standing up, raising their hand and saying, hey, I'm sick, I don't feel well, something's wrong, I want you to find it. And so um, it's not like the future crimes program in that sense. One could liken it to the future crimes program in the sense that um, there's this genetic cataloging going on and they may take these genetic profiles that they collect and then apply those profiles to healthy people saying, hey, you people are healthy, but we know you're going to get sick in the future. <laughs> okay. So it's question. Dr. Daniels, the few people who are accepted into the undiagnosed disease program 
Are they probably some of the poorest people with the least ability to defend themselves legally if something goes wrong? No, I don't think so, because they're very clear that they want your insurance coverage and they expect to get paid for what they're doing. They are very clear that this is not charity. This is not um, for free, that either you have insurance that's going to pay for this or you're going to pay for this. This is definitely a middle-class, upper-middle-class ploy. Uh, This is not something for the poor. They're going to roll this out uh, using the middle-class and upper-middle-class, and then they're going to open it up to the poor. Okay. (laughs) All right, so let's go take a look here. At the blog talk, we've only got three minutes left. Okay, no questions there. Okay. Okay, so... Um, the Undiagnosed Disease Program is simply a ploy to keep people embroiled in the medical industrial complex. It is not aimed at the poor. It is aimed at the middle class who would have the resources to seek out alternative care and to pay out of pocket and to get them instead not to do that, but to allow themselves to be financially exhausted in pursuing uh, this diagnosis. So this is a program aimed at people who have disposable income to take that disposable income away from them and keep them from going outside the medical industrial complex. As always, think happens. And definitely contact Shalee at vitalitycapital.com and let her know if you'd like to become the healer at your home. We'll be sure we send you uh, information and details. 